Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. I mean, had a good Christmas. I mean, got everything that you wanted for Christmas. Oh, had some hands go up. Now, that could mean they had the right focus about what Christmas ought to be about, and that's what we've been talking about uh, in, in this series. How, how, many, uh, how many also uh, got all you wanted to eat at Christmas? How many of you now have a New Year's resolution that you need to lose 10 pounds? Right away. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. <clears throat> This series we've been talking about all I want for Christmas. Today we're talking about all I want for Christmas is a better world. Uh, as, I, uh, as I thought about um, some things that hit the news this year, and you've probably been keeping up with some of the news, and it seemed like over the last few years there's controversy uh, connected with Christmas, like every time we get close to it. Uh, there are people who are not wanting us to say Merry Christmas. They want to say Happy Holidays. Uh, and, and things like that hit the news. Th- this year, uh, in a small town in America, there's a group of atheists that approached the town, and they wanted the town not to have uh, a Christmas parade, or at least not call it a Christmas parade. And the end result was not what they had hoped for, uh, because they had more floats to enter the parade than they had had in years and years and years, maybe more ever, and they had people all over the town holding up signs saying, uh, Merry Christmas or Happy Birthday, Jesus. Another controversy that hit the news this uh, Christmas is that there was a uh, firehouse in a small town in America, and uh, they had a manger scene and also a sign up that said, Merry Christmas. And once again, people approached them saying, that offends us. Uh, We want you to do away with the manger scene. We want you to take down the sign uh, that says Merry Christmas. Uh, And the the captain of the the firehouse, the fire chief, uh, actually took the sign down that said Merry Christmas. What he replaced it with was this, happy birthday, Savior of the world. (laughs) So I don't know they got their desired response out of that. But as I think about the controversy that seems to come up a lot, I couldn't help but think to myself this year as I was listening to some of those controversies, and I'm, I I mean, it ought to be about Christ. It ought to be about him. I started asking myself, what about the rest of the year? I mean, why is it only controversial in our minds if people don't want us to say Merry Christmas at Christmas time? What what about the rest of the year? Why aren't we more proactive talking about Jesus the whole year long? Why aren't we talking more about Christ instead of just kind of getting upset at Christmas time that people don't want us to? What about the rest of the year? Because you see, I think according to the Bible, The whole world is his world. He created it. Time is his. He created the very existence of time. He's existed for all eternity. It all ought to be about him anyway. So what about the rest of the year? That's why today we want to talk about all one for Christmas is a better world. How many of you think we could use a better world than what we have right now? I thought they'd probably get a lot of hands. Because the world that we live in seems to be a little bit shaky, not very stable, kind of a scary place uh, right now, maybe more so than in many, many years for Christians across the world. 
So there are a lot of reasons why we might say we would like to have a, a better world. Well, I, I think that God has given us a, a pathway to a better world. And here's a way you can actually help bring about a better world. We can change the world one life at a time. If you want to change your own home, or if you want to change the community that you live in, you want to change our area, you want to change our nation, you want to change the world, I think God's given us a pathway toward that to where we can change the world that we live in one life at a time. And I think it would be better that we gravitate toward that anyway, because if I start talking about, hey, we need to change the world, you can be kind of smothered down by that and think, man, that's a huge task. That's just something that's impossible. I can't really change the world. Maybe the way you'd push back with that But if you understand you can help change the world one life at a time, then maybe that makes it manageable. Maybe that makes it something that we're not scared to attack, scared to try and carry out. We can change the world and make it a better place one life at a time. First of all, if we would understand we've been given a mission. We've been given as Christians, we've been given a world-changing mission. We're going to look at some verses that we refer to as the Great Commission. Most of the time when you hear the Great Commission, you instantly think of Matthew chapter 28, but it is also restated again in Mark's gospel. In Matthew 28, the one that you traditionally think of as being the Great Commission, the Bible says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came in and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now jump over to Mark's gospel, and we also find the Great Commission there. And it says, Afterward he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at a table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So what I want us to do is take both of these passages that give us what we refer to as the Great Commission, which, by the way, is not a suggestion from Jesus. It's something he commissions us or commands us to do. And I want us to ask ourselves about five questions. And as we walk through these five questions, I think these questions can maybe help us focus on changing the world one person at a time, one life at a time. Here's question number one. Are you a worshiper or a doubter? Are you yourself a worshiper or a doubter? Because there in Matthew 28, the Bible told us when Jesus showed up where he told the disciples to go, some of them worshiped when they saw him, but some of them doubted. Now, I can understand the human challenges that we logically might would have and that they would have because one 
<laughs> they've been called upon to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's God in the flesh. They saw him crucified, nailed to a cross. John saw it real close, standing there beside Mary, and the others saw it from the distance. They knew that he had been placed in a tomb and buried and sealed off. Now they're called upon to believe that he had taken his life back up and he had risen from the dead. Some of them had already seen him. Some of them had not. So they had these challenges that naturally might would cause us to logically doubt in our human nature. And now when Jesus shows up, they literally see him. Some had already, some had not, but now they all see him. And yet it still says some of them worshiped, but some of them doubted. So are you a worshiper or a doubter? You might say, oh, well, I'm a worshiper. I'm here on Sunday. Well, can I change that question a little bit? Do you worship him only on Sunday? Do you worship him with your life? We are not in a place that we call church. Are you someone that doubts because you've never ever trusted in Jesus as your Savior? Maybe you're that type of doubter this morning. Or you could be someone that already knows Christ as your Savior, and yet you're still a doubter because you wrestle with you being able to help fulfill this mission of changing the world. Uh, feeling like that you can actually help fulfill the Great Commission. So you draw back from that because you're filled with doubt, even though you know you've, you've trusted Christ. My suggestion is if we want to change the world for a better place, we need to become more than just Sunday morning worshipers. If we want to change the world into a better place, we need to become someone that worships Jesus Christ day in, day out in our lives, whatever scenario, circumstance we find ourselves in, and we need to quit doubting that we can do it, and we need to be busy and do what he's called us to do. If you want to honestly change the world that you, that you live in. Question number two. Are you a recliner? Now, let me stop. I'm not asking you if you're a chair, okay? Are you a recliner or a world changer? Because in Mark's gospel, it said afterwards he appeared to the 11 themselves and they're reclining at the table. Now, I understand by the culture of that day, that's how they would eat. I recognize that. They're reclining because they would use a low table in that day and time, and they would kind of lay down as they were eating their food. I'm personally glad we have higher tables and higher chairs because I would struggle at my age sometimes to get down and get up, especially after some of the meals I had at Christmas time. How about you? So I recognize the cultural aspect of why they were reclining. But at the same time, the Bible tells us that Jesus walks over and he rebuked them for their unbelief and the hardness of their heart because they had failed to believe those that saw him after he had risen. So they're just there reclining and some of them aren't believing the testimony that's been given by the other disciples that Jesus was alive. I'm fearful that we're guilty of the same thing, not reclining culturally at a table like we normally eat, but I'm afraid a lot of us in our leisure are just reclining kindly instead of being world changers. We're just happy going through the motions. We're just happy with our existence as it is, and we're just going to kind of recline and wait around for Jesus to come back and go one day to live with him instead of actually being engaged with a great commission. Jesus rebuked them for their lack of faith. See, I, th I think 
the correct response would have been this. When they heard about it, especially when they saw the risen Savior, the correct response would have been, hey, let's go and do what he's told us to do. He called us to be fishers of men. Let's go and, and fish for men. Let's go and change our world. Look what happened to him. They nailed him to a cross. They buried him. My goodness, he took his life back up. He's alive. That should have transformed the way they lived their lives. And it ought to transform our lives. To where we ourselves are more focused upon changing our, our world. Because what's our excuse? We have a risen Savior and he's compel us to to be more active in the Great Commission. So are you a recliner or are you a world changer? Question number three is this. Are you under authority or are you rebelling against authority in your own life? Jesus in this Great Commission said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them. Teach them. To observe all that I've commanded you. He also told him in Mark. He said this in, in Mark. He said, he go into all the world. Proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Now, when we think about Jesus saying, all authority has been given me in heaven and earth. And that kind of covers all the bases, doesn't it? <laughs> when he says, all authority has been given me in heaven and earth. I think a lot of times we view that only as, well, that means Jesus has given us the authority that we can go and share the gospel, but sometimes we still treat it like it's optional. Uh, well, we can kind of do it or, or not do it. In, in the Great Commission, Jesus saying, all authority is given me in heaven and earth does mean that you and I have the authority to go. We have the authority to tell the message. We have the authority to make disciples. But we also need to understand it's not optional because maybe you and I need to view the fact that Jesus said all authority has been given me also means this. It means he has the authority over my life and he has the authority over your life and he bought and paid for us with his shed blood on the cross so it's not optional. If he tells us to go and tell people, it's something that we ought to do. And if we don't do it, we're rebelling against his authority so that's our our third question are you under authority or are you rebelling against authority question number four is this are you concerned for the lost for those that do not know Christ because in Mark 16 in the Great Commission Mark quotes Jesus saying this, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But look at that little last part of that verse. But whoever does not believe will be, what's the word? Condemned. <clears throat> By the way, a little bit of a side message here. Someone's going to say, well, Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So that means you have to be baptized in order to be saved. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. If so, the man on the cross, the thief beside him, who Jesus looked to and he said, today you'll be with me in paradise, that man could not get off the cross and go be baptized. He's nailed to a cross. You don't have to be baptized to be saved, but you do have to believe. See, read the second part of the verse. Jesus did not say if they fail to believe and they fail to be baptized, they'll be condemned. He just says if they fail to believe, they'll be condemned. So that's kind of a side message to put salvation in context for you. But the main thing I want you to get is this. Are we really concerned for the lost? Because by the words of Jesus himself, someone that does not believe is condemned. 
We live in this modern society, even in our churches, to where we think, well, we just want to focus on the love of Christ, the love of God, and, and all that, and thank God for his love, amen. But at the same time, the same Bible teaches us there's a real place called hell. There's a real place that people will go to, separated from God for all eternity, if they fail to believe in Jesus. And if you and I are really, really compassionate, if we are really, really concerned for the lost, we ought to be changing our world one life at a time, making every opportunity that we can to share our faith about Jesus. So a question for us this morning, if you really don't like the world that you live in, you need to maybe ask yourself, or are you really concerned for the lost? If so, why not go change the world one life at a time? Why not go and tell and, and make disciples? Question number five from the Great Commission is this. Are you acting like Jesus is with you? Are you in your life, in your habit, in the way you're trying to follow the Great Commission or not follow the Great Commission, whichever the case might be for you? Are you acting like Jesus is with you? Are you dependent upon Christ to empower you, to guide you, to use you, to help you fulfill the Great Commission? Because Jesus said this in Matthew's Gospel, And behold, I am with you always. That includes when you try to share your faith. That includes in fulfilling the Great Commission. Jesus told them to go, to tell others, to teach others, to make disciples. He told us to baptize them, to go to all nations. And then Jesus told the disciples this, and it's still applicable to us. He said, by the way, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. In other words, Jesus was kind of telling them, what I just told you to do, I'm going to help you do it. I'm with you as you try to go out and fulfill the Great Commission. But I'm afraid a lot of times we don't grab hold of that. And we'll act like, well, I, I, I just don't share my faith because I don't feel like I'm qualified. I don't feel like I know what to say. I, I, I kind of don't think I, I'm someone that's uh, got the ability to do it. And the problem with all that is you're leaving Jesus out of the equation. Because Jesus clearly says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Jesus is with you. Jesus has given you and I a world-changing message and a world-changing mission, and he promises to be with us, and we all need to do our part. I read a story about an ocean liner in years past in the Atlantic, and there's this man that was in his cabin because he was, was sick uh, from the seasickness. Uh, we got a lot of people sick right now from the flu. My, my oldest daughter, Jessica, has got it. I think it's running kind of rampant around. So here this man sick out on this ocean liner, locked up in his room because of the, the waves and everything. It just got to him, and, and uh, he thought it would be better to go stay in his room to where he could, regurg, regurg, where he could regurgitate. I'm trying to keep him saying vomit, okay? I said it anyway, didn't I? <laughs> in private instead of everyone being around him. So he's in there in his room sick, and then he hears someone yell, man, overboard. And he thinks to himself, well, God, what a poor soul. God, do something to help him. And then the man said, but there's not anything I can do because I'm in here sick. And then right after he thought that to himself, he thought, well, I can at least take my lantern. This lets you know how many years ago uh, it was. He said, I can at least take my lantern and I can sit up in the porthole window of my cabin. And that's what he did. He stuck it up in the porthole of the cabin. The next day, 
he found out that the man had been rescued. And he was having the chance to literally talk to the man who had been rescued. And the man said, I was about to go down for the last time. I was yelling. They were there in a lifeboat trying to find me, and they couldn't find me. And then he said, all of a sudden, someone put their lantern in the porthole of their cabin. And the light from the lantern lit my hand right before I went down to where the sailors in the lifeboat found me, and they grabbed me, and they pulled me up. So the man had just thought to himself, God bless that person who's about to drown out there. I, I, I really can't do nothing about it myself. And then he thought, well, at least I can put this light up here in the window. And that's what allowed the person to be found and be saved. Jesus tells us we're to let our light shine. He tells us we're not to put it under a basket. He tells us that we're to do our part, each of us to do our part. You can let your light shine. You can let your light shine. You can let your light shine. I can let mine shine. And together we can try and help fulfill the Great Commission. We, we ought to do at least what we can do the, to try and fulfill the Great Commission to reach others. You don't like the world that you live in. It's real easy for us to scream at the darkness and be just mad at our culture and mad at everything we see. Maybe, maybe the darkness is there because we're not shining our light. Maybe we're not fulfilling the great commission that he's called us to, this great mission that he's, that he's given us. If you don't like the world that you live in, you can change the world one life at a time, first of all, by understanding God has given you a world-changing mission. All of us, each of us that know Christ, he's given us not a suggestion but a command to go and tell others. But secondly, he's also given us a pattern for changing the world. A pattern for changing the world. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 11, the Bible says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, when will you at this time, or Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, I'm assuming angels. And he said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. We just talked about some questions, ask ourselves five questions that ought to challenge us to be fulfilling the Great Commission. Now I want to give you about four steps that we can take based upon what we just read in Acts. Step number one, you need to realize it isn't about what you want. It's not all about you. They came together and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, there's some background to that that will help you maybe understand more of what's taking place. In their question, they're kind of asking Jesus, well, are you going to chase off the Roman Empire now? 
You're going to restore the kingdom? And and are you going to sit on the throne? Because the disciples had been very interested in this kingdom thing coming about because they wanted to rule and reign with Jesus. They were even arguing one time as they walked by the wayside who among them would be the greatest. And Jesus kindly stopped and told them, if you want to be the greatest, you're going to be a servant. And then he went on a few verses later and started talking about the reality of hell, telling them don't let anything cause you to go to a place called hell and how real hell is. So in with this question, it's kind of like, well, Jesus, when are you going to get on the throne so we can be there with you? Two of the disciples that even sent their mama to go see Jesus to try and pull strings behind the scenes so one can sit on the right hand and one can sit on the left hand of Jesus when he came into his kingdom. So if you factor that into the background and they're coming up asking, when are you going to chase off the Roman Empire? When are you going to sit on your throne? Jesus more or less tells them this, that's none of your business. He, he said, it's, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. He's telling them that you're going to be my witnesses. He's given them already the great commission. He called them to be fishers of men. And here they are wanting to know, when will you set up the kingdom so we get kind of what we want? We want to be there with you in the kingdom, helping to rule and reign. And you say, I'm afraid that same attitude invades our lives even yet today and sometimes even in our churches because we'll make church about what we want it to be. We'll make our lives about what we want it to be and fail to realize that it's not about what we want at all. We shouldn't be making our lives completely about what, what we want. We need to remember that it needs to be about what, what Jesus wants. We don't need to be the be guilty of the attitude wanting what we want and making church about what we want it to be or serving Jesus about us. We don't need to fall into that trap. It's not about us. Instead, we need to realize step number two, it is about what Christ wants. But you'll receive power, he said, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The agenda for our lives, the agenda for the church, not just this church, but any church and all churches, the agenda ought to be set by Jesus Christ, not what we want. The agenda for the disciples that they were looking for the kingdom being set up and them ruling with Jesus. Jesus more or less said, it's not about your agenda, it's about my agenda. It's about you being my witnesses. That's the agenda that I have for you. I want you to be my witnesses. And that's the agenda he still has for your life and my life, for us to be his witnesses. Don't overcomplicate that. You do not have to have a doctor's degree in theology to be a witness for Jesus. But sometimes we'll complicate it and push it off into that realm and we, we shrink back from being a witness because we think, well, I don't have the degree. One time there was an ordination committee that was meeting. Also, you know, the ordination committee kind of decided, well, we're going to say, yeah, we ought to 
ordain him or not. And after they questioned the person, they decided not to ordain him. The man's name was Dwight L. Moody. That's kind of like the basketball coach who cut Michael Jordan's story, huh? In high school. (laughs) They didn't think Dwight L. Moody could do it, so they didn't ordain him. It's not about you having a degree. It's about you being obedient. You can share a witness for Christ by an act of kindness or even by just a word that you say. Even quoting just a verse of Scripture. John Wesley one time was on a trip. John Wesley, a lot of you may know this. He was one of the founders of the, of the Methodist Church. And he's traveling on this trip, which back then meant walking a lot of times. And he was along the road walking and this highwayman, is what they called him in that day and time, we call him a robber today, this man comes up to rob him. And he comes up to John Wesley and he says, you can either give me your money or your life. So you've probably heard statements like that before. So as John Wesley's giving him the money that he had, he said, will you, will you let me say one thing to you before you leave? He said, the life path that you've chosen may not be be the one that you really need to be following. It's going to lead to a lot of problems and destruction in your life. And he said, you need to understand something. You need to understand that the blood of Jesus Christ covers all sin, or the blood of Jesus Christ provides forgiveness for sin. And they parted and went their ways. Years later, after John Wesley got through preaching in a church, a man came up to him and he said, do you remember a time when someone robbed you on the highway? He said, that was me. And he said, the only thing you did was quote that verse of Scripture to me. And he said, I could not get away from that verse of Scripture. And that one verse of Scripture you quoted to me kept on haunting me and haunting me and haunting me until I came to faith in Jesus. You quoting that one verse of Scripture literally changed my habits. It literally changed my life. And now I believe I'm a Christian. All he did was share a verse of Scripture. Don't shrink back from being involved in the Great Commission. Don't try and pull back from sharing your faith or being His witness because He calls us to do that. It's not about what you want. It's about what Jesus wants. Jesus wants you and I to be His witnesses. Step number three. Start where you are. Start where you live and work outward. Now, I want to kind of qualify what I'm about to say, explain what I'm about to say a little bit. I'm not giving you like a mathematical equation to where I'm saying, well, you, you know, you, you have to start in Jerusalem. You can't jump start over here in the Judea or Samaria or any place else. But I think I am saying, if you're not willing to share your faith where you are, then you're probably not going to be called upon or have many opportunities to share it in other parts of the world. A lot of people will use the excuse, well, if I could, man, if I could just go to Africa, or if I could go to Mexico, or if I could go this summer to Guatemala on the, on the mission trip, if I could just go somewhere like that, I, I would tell people about Jesus. I'd share my faith. Well, I hope you would, but what's wrong with doing it here and now? What's wrong with sharing it with your neighbor? What's wrong with sharing it with your coworker? What's wrong with sharing it at the marketplace? What's wrong with sharing your faith here? Because if you're not willing to accept the responsibility that Jesus gives you to be his witness here in this place, in your community, in your town, in your world, in your family, if you're not willing to accept that, I doubt he's going to entrust you 
to go and impact the rest of the world somewhere in Africa. If you're not willing to be engaged here where you live. If you want to change your world, you can start out with your own home. You can start out with your neighbors. You can start out with your community. You can start out with your hometown. You can start out with our region. You can start out by moving on to our nation. We can go on to the ends of the earth. Jesus called them to be his, his disciples. Step four. Get busy. Just get busy doing what he's called us to do, what he's told us to do. Our leadership team in a couple of weeks, we've, uh, we've been around for 12 years now. We are feeling the need to kind of back up and punt a little bit and, uh, you know, maybe... Uh, uh, re-envision some stuff and we're, we're going to have someone to come in and lead us one Saturday our staff and and our leadership team kind of threw some vision and uh, steps and and all and all that's beneficial I'm not shooting any of that down but but I think I can probably boil everything down and what we ought to be doing is simply to hear what God says and do it because God's told us pretty clearly what we're supposed to be about and what we're supposed to be doing our problem is getting busy and doing it. When he said the things to them, they were looking on. And it says, all of a sudden, he was lifted up from their side on a cloud. And they're standing there staring. <laughs> and these angels show up and they say, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Because this same Jesus is going to come back just the same way that he left. In other words, just like these angels saying, "Why he told you a minute ago to be his witnesses, why in the world are you still standing here staring into heaven? I think we do that a lot in our churches and in our lives. We get so heavenly focused, we're not any earthly good. We want to stand and stare and think about how great it will be on streets of gold and gates of pearl and everything like that when we get to see grandma and grandpa and Jesus and then the whole nine yards one day in heaven and we fail to be engaged in the here and now. He's told us to be his witnesses. There are people that are not ready to go. There are people that if Jesus were to come back tomorrow, they're, they're not ready. They don't know him. We need to get busy being his witnesses. Because one day he's, he's coming back. found something in a, in a commentary that someone else had written, and it, and it said this, now is all the time we have. Number one, it said, remember, this may be the day the Lord returns. That's true. He could come back right now before I finish the message. We don't have any promise or any guarantee of time. So if you have lost loved ones and lost friends or lost coworkers that you know do not know Jesus Christ, you don't know when Jesus might come back. You need to get busy sharing your faith. Number two, it says, use our time wisely. We're, we're kind of told that in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, to, to make the most of every opportunity. We need to be asking God to revive our, our love and concern for lost people to where we are engaged in their lives. And we're trying to build inroads into their lives so we can share Christ with them because we know that they're not ready. So we need to make the most of every opportunity and use our time wisely. 
Number three, it said treat everyone as if you'll never see them again. Because that honestly might be the truth. That might be the only chance you get to impact that person's life for Jesus because you could go down the road and be killed. They could go down the road and be killed. It might be the very last chance you ever had the chance to see them. And if we would live more in that understanding, in that awareness, in that presence, that this might be my last shot, this might be the last opportunity that I have to tell this person about Jesus, maybe, just maybe, we'd get busy. You don't like the world that you live in, you can change the world one life at a time. You can change it by being busy with fulfilling the Great Commission, the world-changing mission that he's given us. He's given us a pattern that we need to, to be following. Have you ever thought about the power of multiplication? In the Museum of Natural Science in Chicago, not sure if it's still there. It was there at one point in time. But it was a, they had a display set up. There was a, uh, a 64 position, 64 slot checkerboard. And on the very bottom left corner, there was one grain of wheat. And it said if you multiplied that grain of wheat every time you went from one check spot to the next until you got all the way up through number 64 the question was how much wheat would you have in other words the first slot over you'd have two the next slot over you'd have four you understand each time it it multiplies the, and the question was would, would you have a a a car load a train load a, like a ship load how much wheat would you have and the answer is by the time you doubled all the way to the 64 spot you'd have enough wheat to bury the country of India under six feet of wheat. So apply that to our lives as far as you and I making disciples, you and I fulfilling the Great Commission. See, that's how we're going to have a better world. It would be you and I impacting one life at a time, and that person impacting life, and whoever they impact, those persons moving on, they impact lives. If you reach one person for Jesus and you spend six months with that person discipling them, Thoroughly, at the end of six months, there'd be two of you. At the end of a year, there'd be four. At the end of a year and a half, you'd have eight. If you continue to, to multiply, at the end of two years, you'd have 16. Can you guess what it will be after 17 years? If everyone continued to multiply themselves once every six months for 17 years, it would be over 6 billion people. After 17 years. I'm 58 years old, be 59 in February. I've been in the ministry for 30 years. And after 17 years, if that pattern followed, over 6 billion people. That's the power of multiplication. That's the power that you and I have if we will just be obedient. 
and teach other people to be obedient and if we'll multiply as disciples. And if you want to be reminded why you ought to do it, Jesus said this that we've already looked at in Mark 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. That's why we ought to multiply. Found a poem this past week that's a title of Forgive Me, God, I Had No Time. The poem says this, The years slipped by and time was spent, and all the good things that I meant to do were left undone because I had no time to stop and pause, but rushed about when here and there, did this and that was everywhere. I had no time to meditate on things worthwhile, no time to wait upon the Lord and hear him say, well done, my child, you've shown the way. And so I wonder after all, when life is o'er and I'm called to meet my Savior in the sky where saints live on and never die, if I can find one soul that I've won to Christ by some small deed I've done, or will I hang my head and whine, forgive me, God. I had no time. Is that poem your excuse for 2014? Will that poem be your excuse at the end of 2015? Or will that poem be your excuse when you stand before Jesus one day, having to give an account for why you've not done what he called you to do? How many feel like you did everything you ought to do in 2014 to share your faith with others? Anybody feel like you did everything you should have done? Me neither. How many of you would like to change that in 2015? Jesus told the disciples in Acts 1-8, you're going to be my witnesses. But for the most part, they still hung around Jerusalem. When you get to Acts 8-1, Saul approved the execution of Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except for the apostles. The main apostles stayed there to kind of manage, you know, the home front things and sending people out. My point is, Jesus told them to go and be witnesses. They didn't do it until the persecution hit, and they kind of had to flee. We are hearing more right now of persecution against Christians than I ever remember hearing about in my lifetime. Do we want to wait until that kind of persecution hits and we're kind of thrust out to go wherever and then decide, all right, we better be busy sharing our faith or just maybe we need to engage the Great Commission on the front side and change our world before that kind of persecution hits? 
I'm not saying the persecution will be bad, to be honest with you, across the world where you see persecution hit Christians. That's where Christianity is growing like wildfire because people have to get serious with what they believe. But do you want to wait until someone is there saying, you deny Christ or I'll take your life to decide to share your faith? Or would you rather get busy now on the front side of that? And be doing what you can to change this world one life at a time. If you want a better world. Let's pray. God, forgive us for our lack of activity, our lack of dedication, our, our lack of response to the great commission, the command that you've given us through the words of your Son. Lord, the questions that we ask from the great commission, I, I pray you'll use those right now to haunt our hearts. To help us see we need to be more about doing what you've called us to do and that's to be your witnesses God it's so easy for us just to be angry at our culture and angry at the world we live in and blame everyone but ourselves when you tell us in your word judgment begins at the house of God so the condition of our world and the condition of our nation very well is probably our fault for not sharing the gospel as you've called us to. Help us to be proactive, not reactive. Help us to plan now, dedicate now to share in our faith more in this coming year than we ever have before. Father, if there's someone in this place this morning that is doubting the gospel, they've never trusted in your son, give them the faith they need right now to say yes. But to the rest of us that already know Christ, Lord, burden our hearts. Give us more concern for the lost than we've ever had. Thrust us out into our culture, even if it takes persecution. And help us to share your message with a lost and dying world. Help us to change our world one life at a time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.